I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for The Connor and Smith Show. Thank you, Places. What are you working on here in the kitchen? I am working on a pancake batter uh, with limoncello and blueberries. It's going to be a lemon and blueberry pancake. That is amazing. Um, yeah, these were from the Giants. These are limoncello-inspired blueberry pancake mix. Um, I'm super excited about this. Yes. Uh, we'll let you know how they turn out later. All right, so our guest today is Tom Goss. Tom is a recording artist currently in L.A., uh, used to reside in the D.C. area, was kind of a D.C.-based artist, but uh, has gone international. Um, and so we get to talk to him about his music and his process and all of his um, works. Um, well, that's already looking good. Um, so yeah, enjoy. we'll be right back after this message. Hey, Tom, this is Steven. Hey, Steven, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing just fine. I'm here with my husband, Matt. Hi, Tom. Hey, Matt, how's it going? You know, just hanging in there, enjoying the uh, the Washington uh, weird summer heat thunderstorm slash it was freezing two weeks ago. Oh, <laughs> I love the thunderstorms. Yes, you used to live in Washington, D.C., I did, and I lived in the Midwest for before that, you know, so I miss thunderstorms, actually, to be honest with you. Because you're in L.A. now? Yeah, we don't really have thunderstorms. You don't really have weather. I mean, we have weather. <laughs> it's just different. <laughs> it's just the same a lot, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's just nice. Yeah. What part of D.C. did you live in? Uh, Petworth. Well, I mean, first I was in Brookland. Then I was... Uh, um, over in Eastern Market, then I was in Columbia Heights, and then I was last in Petworth. Oh, we love some Eastern Market. Yeah, Eastern Market's nice. Yeah, oh, I, I, lived used to... at, I lived at U Street too for a while. I'm thinking about it. Oh, U Street's nice too. Where do you guys live? I used to live uh, before me and Steven were together. Uh, I used to live off of like E and Fifteenth. Okay, yeah. And sure. there was a, there was a Safeway down there. We used to call it the Unsafeway. Yeah, I remember that Safeway for sure. <laughs> but we they, live in... they renovated that Safeway, I believe. Really? Oh, oh, yeah, it's all bougie now. Yeah, by the time I had left DC, they had renovated, I'm pretty sure. And then, we... of course, if you go keep going even east of there, there was like uh, a Harris Teeter, and like they did this whole development over there right before the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. We live in uh, Arlington. Mm -hmm. And. So what you're missing also uh, is the 17-year cicadas. I know. It seems so cool. I'm super bummed. It is and it isn't. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's cool, but then it's also a little gross. Um, just the volume. We live in Fairlington, which has lots of trees, lots yeah. of old trees. And so uh, anyway. More I love them. It doesn't bother me at all. I love it. It doesn't bother me. 
I, I would love to have that attitude. It's just when you get dive bombed by a screeching insect in the face, like it's, it can be a lot, you know? Yeah, dude, but these, these things, they like live in the ground for 17 years just to like pop out and try to fuck for one day. Yeah. You no, know? it's like crazy. It is. It is. So, ta. <laughs> Yeah, we yeah. should we, we could write a film about that. <laughs> I'm sure somebody <laughs> has. So, Tom, uh, you're originally from Illinois. You were, said you're in the Midwest. I'm originally from Wisconsin, actually. Well, I guess I I guess I was born in Illinois. Uh, I'm not sure what you're reading, but yeah, I was born in Illinois, but I grew up in Wisconsin primarily. I'm reading the best source of information. Wikipedia? that's always true. Yes, it's true. No, it's true. I was born in Quincy, Illinois, but I moved to Kenosha, Wisconsin, when I was four. So really, you know, I don't really have many memories of, of Quincy, to be honest with you. But all my family's from Illinois and Kenosha's on the border. It's like, you know, I grew up three miles from Illinois. So, you know, I take no offense. So you you moved to D.C. to attend a Roman Catholic seminary. I sure did. Um, Matthew has has uh, some kind of brief uh interest in that as well but what changed your mind why did i not become a roman catholic priest <laughs> because it was horrible honestly it was like the worst place i ever went to in my life and the people in it were pretty horrible i mean there were some good people there but i mean there's a reason why you know these top heavy religious institutions have so many problems and um and yeah i i i ran into those problems so then after you left that, uh, you worked at Charlie's Place as mm -hmm. a program manager. Can you tell us a little about Charlie's Place? Yeah. So, I mean, when I left, when I left seminary, I just wanted to, like, uh, make a record really was my main goal. And then I assumed I was just going to get on with my life and live my normal life. Uh, I first got, just got a job at Starbucks and learned how to make music. And then I made my first record called Naked Without. And um, in that, you know, and then I started to move on with my life, right? So I was like, okay, I need a regular job. And I got this job at a place called Charlie's Place, which um, is a meal program and service center for the homeless um, in DuPont Circle. And um, I was a program manager for a couple of years and essentially meant like, you know, cooking meals and feeding, you know, I would say like 60 typically between 60 and 80 but sometimes more and sometimes less uh men and women um each morning in dupont circle and um when i had the opportunity to, to start doing music a little more full-time and go on the road um i i negotiated a telecommuting position this is 2008 and um and became the the development director there and I would be on, be on tour half the year and, you know, stop in Boise and go to the post office and drop off a grant and then keep moving. So it was, I started balancing kind of like the music thing and the, um, and the, and the nonprofit fundraising thing at the same time. <clears throat> and the program really does really great work. Um, you know, of course, we have meals, so we serve, serve a meal every day. And but there's also like job placement services, house housing placement services, a clothing closet, a place for clients to use the telephone. And, and it's just really like a really wonderfully chill environment where where um, 
the homeless and poor in Washington D.C. can can get a good start to their day and and um, hopefully hopefully provide opportunities for them to um, enrich their lives. Well, that's amazing. Now, when you so you were already booking tours at this point. And yes, it, it, so so yeah, I would say so. My first record came out in two thousand and six, um, and that was called Naked Without. And like I said, I, it was really for me a means to an end, but you know, that's not really how I operate. So as soon as I put out the record, then I wanted to start chewing the record. And then I knew I can make a better record. And then I wanted to make a music video. And then I wanted to make a better record. And then I wanted to, you know, it kind of snowballed. And so from 2006 to 2008, I was performing in DC, the DMV area for, you know, probably four days a week. Um, but just local gigs, you know, um, in Arlington or in Bethesda or in DC or, you know, all over kind of the DMV. And um, so when you're first starting out, it's like you are doing all the legwork work of like reaching out to these different places and trying to get your your gigs in there for the night. And, and they advertise you and you show up and you get a cut and maybe a free beer or something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that hasn't really changed. I mean, I'm still completely independent. I still do everything myself. But yeah, you do. Ab- absolutely. So. You know, I mean, I think, you know, at those point in time, th- there wasn't really money. You know, if, if you made if you made 20 bucks, you were happy, you know. Right. Um, and I went on the road with the, an artist by the name of Eric Hyman. Went out in 2008. He um, he was like, hey, man, he was he was kind of digging what I was doing and seeing that I was like working hard. And he had been doing it for a while. And he uh, I was great. I was I was grateful to to have the opportunity to go on the road with him for what became my first national tour um, as an opener for, for him. And, um, and that's when I switched my job to being telecommuting and it provided me with some of that kind of like consistency and income and security and that while I could still really pursue the music thing. And um, by the fall, I, I started booking, you know, I used, I, 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 I learned a lot on that tour, learned how to tour. And then I started doing it uh, on my own. And so in, by the, by the spring of 2009, I had booked my first national tour, um, solo national tour, um, which was, you know, like 60, 63 cities or something like that. I just kind of started becoming kind of a road hustler. And I, and I did that for the majority of, of, of the next 10 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and you're still, you're still doing this like by yourself there's no one calling you and saying hey we have, we gotta be in denver by you know no. i mean that'd be nice <laughs> i'm always like i was always like you know i'm very much a diy guy and you know i came up in the mid-2000s when the music industry was kind of turned on its head and it was it was failing pretty hard and there was kind of this opening for for indie people to to start figuring it out and so there's a generation of people that just started doing it then because it was the first time you could you could make the music on your own you could make videos on your own you could hop in your car whereas before you know you you really needed a lot more um label support to be able to do it and things were kind of changing really fast with the um with the invention of like napster and digital streaming streaming platforms and itunes and um, I just kind of took advantage of that and direct to consumer marketing. I mean, Facebook was MySpace at the beginning was was amazing to just get your music right in the ear of people and you could communicate directly with fans. So 
that's what I started doing. And I was always of the mind of like, if you build it, they will come. Like, I just need to generate enough interest and then a manager will want to help me or a booking agent want to help me or whatever that um, may be. But that never happened. So. Well, yeah. And of course, now with social media, you really probably don't need any of that anymore. I mean, yeah. I mean, you definitely could do it on your own for sure. But there's there's definitely a benefit to having it as well. Uh, you know, it would, it would allow me to focus a little more on my craft, which I would love to do. Um, and maybe get into some rooms I can't, I don't have the relationships to get into. But, you know, I don't really have any regrets about that. I feel very grateful to be able to do what I do. Well, if you need me to make a few phone calls, let me know. Got it. Okay, great. And I'll say, hey, th this is Matt, Tom's uh, agent manager. <laughs> and <Great>. uh, <laughs> we, 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 we want to play here. We got to get in this room. Yeah. Um, can you, so around this time, uh, or maybe shortly right after you met your husband. I met my husband almost immediately after I left seminary. So I met my husband... Uh, I left seminary in 2005, in the fall of 2005, I think the, uh, actually the week of Thanksgiving. So you would say like, you know, December 20, I mean, November 23rd, I'm making up a number, but you know, that's a Thanksgiving issue date. Right. And, um, and the night that I left, I started a Yahoo personals page and we started chatting and our first date was December 6th. So about two weeks after I uh, left seminary, I, went on the first my first day with my husband and i i probably went home for christmas i don't know december 20th or something like that we went on two or three dates before i went home for christmas and we texted all through the christmas break and and i actually came back early from from my christmas holiday because i missed him and it was kind of all over by that point wow um yeah wikipedia is killing it here now have you had christmas yet in california uh, yeah, many times. Uh, so is I moved that, out is, here in two, 2015. So is that crazy to be on the West Coast Christmas and versus like a Wisconsin Christmas or a D.C. Christmas? I mean, or, it's, it's different. I mean, it's so there's a there's a song on my um, Back to Love album, which is from 2009 called Legacy of You. And it's about the passing of my grandfather in 2008. And I would just say, like, Christmas hasn't been Christmas since 2007 to me. And it doesn't really matter where I am. Because to me, you know, the the family that existed as as a result of his um, him being the patriarch is no longer there. So I don't mean to be depressing about it, but I don't think it's weird. I do think it's weird. But it's no weirder for me in L.A. than it is in D.C. than it would be in Antarctica. And it's, right. because, and it's because that's not there anymore. And it well, will never be there again. That's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. I mean, uh, I do. This is kind of stretching to present. But I did love your Christmas video you made in, with your husband in your apartment last year. It was Oh, very, yeah, that was fun. It was very was cute. Fun. Yeah. Um, so... I'm just, you know, letting Wikipedia lead this interview, which is really not a good practice. 
But I, I remember we're, some... we're here today to correct it. Yeah, well, I'm trying to we're, give we're Wikipedia. Edit well, we're definitely doing very, very factual chronological interviews as a result of the Wikipedia uh, guidance. Well, you know, I like to highlight things that interest me and sure. then just kind of talk around this. But uh, in 2008, you released your first EP, Rise. Yeah. Uh, the title song from the EP hit number two on Logo TV's click list that summer. I remember the click list. I remember the click list. Yeah, for sure. That was fun. It's it's so interesting how far just even gay culture has come since 2008. Um, well, and that was it. That was the only outlet. I mean, Logo was the only outlet. You know, I mean, you got to think that YouTube didn't even exist until the end of 2007. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like that was a huge thing, you know. Um, Facebook didn't host videos um, until later as well. So it's it's crazy. It's crazy to think. Yeah, but the click list was definitely great. And uh, so the way I'm, I'm following this. So we're into Back to Love now. Um and the first single till the end went all the way to number one on the click list. Speaking of a click list, um, that album also features your song Lover. Yeah. Um, fun fact uh, connection. Uh, one of our friends is in the video for Lover, Benjamin Horan. Oh, I love Ben. Yeah. Yeah. And it was filmed in Arlington, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember watching. I remember him saying, you guys got to look at this video. Um it was a beautiful video, very moving. Um, what 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 kind of prompted you to tell that story in that song? Was it you know the Afghanistan and everything that was happening? And no, I mean the truth is I kind of stole the idea. Um, if I'm being honest, I was in. Uh, I've always had this kind of like romantical love relationship with Reading, Pennsylvania. My husband and I used to go up there all the time. We were like looking for houses up there. We were just making friends up there. It's like so random. Even actually, I don't know if you've seen my latest single called Pride and, um, and video. Um, mm-hmm. it, is, it is inspired by these people in Reading, Pennsylvania, who started, who started writing Pride Celebration in Reading, Pennsylvania. And um, the first verse is their story. And I am playing one of the characters so I've just had this this relationship with Reading, Pennsylvania, and I was up there and uh, had lunch with a friend, and and he was just telling me about the screenplay he was working on and how he wanted to use my album Back to Love as the soundtrack for it. And he started describing the screenplay, and the screenplay was about these two lovers separated by war, and he was describing the scenes. And when he would describe the scene, he would describe you know, what song would, what lyrics would be playing under the song and every, you know, and as he's, as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing that every single lyric he is quoting is from Lover and it's actually a wonderfully great idea. And so I just started thinking about it and then we drove home and then I like, you know, got on Facebook and wrote him a note and said, hey, do you mind if I steal your idea? <laughs> and he was like, no. And then I made Lover, but it, it was not my idea at all really but i had also just uh done a single with matt alber um called who we are and it was about um you know soldiers who were who were discharged by don't ask don't tell and so i met um a bunch of them when we made a little video on the mall about it this would this would have been um Jan, this was the snowpocalypse. So when was that? 2010. 
January, February, 2010. Sounds about right. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I met them and I started hearing their stories. And so it was already kind of in my, in my, um, purview, this idea. And actually the, the soldiers in the video are, um, are actually soldiers unjustly discharged as a result of Donuts Hotel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, and Tom, just full disclosure, if you hear snarfles or grunts or licks, it, we have two pugs. We're at the Eagle. <laughs> oh, cute. Okay. We have two pugs that anytime it's podcast time are like trying to show off or do, I don't know what's happening. They it's want a, to be on the podcast. It's a recent development. It's, I mean, and, dogs are fucking cute. I would love to be petting them. You said you're at the Eagle doing this? No, no. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Oh, because so they were snorting. And, oh, I get it. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. My yeah. bad. Um, which is a great segue to Bears. Sure. Um, the single uh, that blew the roof off. Um, this I remember seeing that everywhere. Yeah. Um, any kind of like, uh, you know, God, what what is the anyway? Tal Road, all, all over different gay sites. Uh, there was your single, um, and it just struck me as like, well, duh. Why has no one ever written this or done this? But of course, you did. Um, I mean, it doesn't. It seems like a no brainer. But do you want to talk a little about that whole? Um... Yeah. Well, I mean, and it, and it wasn't the first, to be honest with you. Um, you know, part of the thing is I was seeing there was some content that was being um, written that was like this and some some visual stuff that was that was being put out there that was like this. But the production value just wasn't there. And I, I there's this song by this, uh, well, called Bears by Kendall Kelly that is fucking I, I rediscovered it like a month ago when we did a virtual show together and it still had me cracking up. And I remember at the time just thinking, God, this is so good. But but people aren't seeing it because, you know, because it's it's the production value wasn't there. Um, and I just thought, like, if you did this thing and added some production value, people would it would really mean a lot to people. People the the I think one of the hard things about I mean, it's changed. It's definitely has changed. But it's hard to imagine how much has changed in, in only 10, 15 years, but 10, 15 years ago, the content that, that queer people was getting had a much lower bar and the content that, that the, the bare subset of the queer community had a much lower bar than even that. And so people, you could really tell that people were um, yearning for high quality content um, but but people were still afraid to make that high quality content, and I would and I was just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. This is the, the we have to make something that's like as good as anything else you're going to see from a major label, but but focus on this group that is constantly overlooked and constantly ignored and constantly underappreciated. And um, so I teamed up with Rich Morrell. I was going to I, I was. A fucking huge fan of Rich Morale, and we were going to blow off all the time at the at the time. And I approached him about producing the track, and he said yes. And then, you know, I worked with DC Bear Crew and Scott and Charger to like to like put together a really fucking dope party. And um, and it was really one of those moments where everything just worked, 
And that is a rarity in this industry. And um, we shot it in mid-June and edited it and colored it. That was all the, um, around Vartian and Michael Patrick Key, who I was working with all the time um, back in D.C., who's great, and, and released it nine days later. You know, that, you, that's the crazy thing is the turnaround on that video was so quick, you know. It, mm-hmm. it was a, such an amazing process, but, you know, that's the story behind that. I, I mean, I, I was playing at Bear Happy Hour. I had a show at Bear Happy Hour. I guess the beginning of it was I had a show at Bear Happy Hour, and I just wanted to write a song about bears to, to make people smile. And as soon as I started playing it around, people started freaking out. And so I wanted to take the production to the next level with Rich and, and with the video. How long does it take to make a video of that uh, caliber? So, uh, not, not necessarily money, but like, you know, did you have three cameras, uh, a team of what? So the DC crew that we ran with was pretty small. Um, it was like m- me and Aram and Michael Patrick Key and Phil Reese. And um, I'm counting on my fingers and Michael Horton and this guy, Hide. And, um, and my husband usually was helping out too. So I would say like, like all total with everybody, seven or eight people. Wow. Um, but yeah, we, we ran it pretty lean. It was mostly just like running and gunning and figuring it out as we went, you know, nobody was really making videos at the time, especially not in a place like Washington, DC, you know? So it was, it was, uh, there was a strong learning curve, but I would say, you know, really, um, Aram and Michael, you know, Michael's the, the photo editor at the Washington Blade and, um, and Aram is just brilliant. I, I don't think I realized how brilliant they both were at the time because we were just so young and dumb and, and now they're, they're continuing to do amazing things. Um, and, you know, they have the, the biggest Dungeons and Dragons podcast, you know, like in the world. And <laughs> so it's like they're just really. They're, yeah. So they're like brilliant storytellers and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a brilliant storyteller and, and dynamic in my own way. And the, and just when we all got together, it just created this really cool thing that wasn't really existing anywhere else. So when the video is done, if anyone's listening that wants to learn about the process, when the video is done, then how do you get it out to the world? You just drop it on YouTube. It goes on. Is there a press release? Is there like a club yeah. opening? So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, my husband works uh, in PR for a long time. And so he would usually write a press release. And then I literally just sit at my computer and I start blasting people. Um, Sometimes I work with PR teams. I'll hire PR for a a single or a video. But, you know, for Bears, it was just me sitting at my computer. You know, you said, like, I email Andy at Toll Road or Joe at Joe, my God, this would be what it was at the time or or um, Noah Michelson at Huffington Post. That's, that's who it was at the time there, too. And, you know, if they like it, they post it. And if they don't, they don't. And, again, that's changed, too. Like, um, you know, everything's become so corporatized. It's a, little, it's a little more difficult. And also, at the time, like, you could post a YouTube link on Facebook, and people would love it, and people would share it, and people would like it. And now that Facebook has their own video platform, you know, all those YouTube links get suppressed. So there was a, there was, it, it was such a fun time to be an artist because you could directly get your art to the consumer. Um, now that the music industry has figured it out and, you know, Facebook is public and all of these things are monetized, 
um, you know, you, you kind of have to open your, your wallet to get things seen. And, you know, I, I can't compete with the spend that a label can compete with anymore, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I know this is going back to bears, but it just, um, I guess a bit more mainstream and this isn't even mainstream, but I, I remember, uh, the, the, uh, John Waters film, a dirty shame came out in God, what was it? 2006 or seven. And I think that did, Oh no, we have a surprise. Matthew's phone is singing to him. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Hang on one second. Oh my gosh. So sorry, Tom. It's um, okay. I don't know what is happening. It's... So uh, the, the John Waters film had come out that had, you know, the Bear family in it. I don't know. If, did you ever see that film? I did not, but that sounds amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it's about sexual perversion, right? So ah. there's sexual, uh, what do you call it? Um, almost like uh, apostles. Yeah, that's what it is. And there's all kinds of different, you know, there's a splosher, there's a, you know, it's, it's heterosexual, it's homosexual, it's everywhere in between. And there's yeah, yeah. a bear, bear family. And it's, if you have not seen it, it's quite funny. But uh, I remember at the time hearing people go, well, what are bears? And it was like, oh God, are you kidding? Um, but it, it, it's interesting how, like I said, I've said this twice now, which makes me super not interesting, but it, it's so fascinating to just between technology and culture, just the past 10 years even like oh, yeah. the the how things totally exploded um and are continue to do so and and if we're here now i just can't even imagine what five years from now will be like you know yeah um, for sure i mean i remember being at a gig in chicago and i was uh, playing with this guy jeffrey altergott who you know is a bear guy too and he was like Set, talking about grinder from stage and you know i'm from the chicago area so my dad was like what is what is he talking about and i was like oh it's a it's like an app on your phone where you can like you know know if there's somebody who wants to meet you you know and you can measure that distance by feet and he was like oh that sounds great and i was he was he, i was like i don't think you'd like it dad and he's like i don't know i think i'd like it and i was like i don't think so it's it's <laughs> It's really for like if you want to have gay sex with that person. And he was like, "Oh, it's for gay people." And I was just like, "Yeah, it's pretty funny." I, it wasn't long till straights got their own, right? Of course, um, yeah, of course. Sorry about my phone. Ever since I announced that I might be your manager, the phone's been ringing off the hook. Oh, so great! Did you did you make any big deals so far? You, I'll let you know, but we, we might have another booking. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Tom, you play the guitar. Sure. Yeah. So what is the journey? Did you teach yourself? Was it something you kind of fell into? And is that your only instrument? He plays keyboards as well. Piano. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I would say that my, uh, my main instrument is the guitar. That's what I feel the most comfortable with, but I play the keys as well. I mean, I guess I, you know, I play the bass guitar, I play the ukulele, you know, if it has strings and you can strum it, I can probably play it. If you can pluck it like a piano, I can probably play it. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to be great. I, I mean, I play I play everything but the guitar like a songwriter plays it, which is kind of like chord based. I'm not going to be playing any like Beethoven, you know. Right. 
and you you went and took lessons when you were young or it was something that you just kind of oh no I, so i was just obsessed with dave matthews band when i was in college like uh so my high school graduation, I got a guitar. That's what I asked for for my high school graduation. And then I would just learn every single Dave Matthews song. That's what I did for like all of college because I just was obsessed with Dave Matthews and I would follow them around all summer and shit like that. And that's how I learned to play the guitar. I just what's, would download Dave Matthews band tablature. What's your favorite Dave Matthews band song? What's the go? What's the go-to? Oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, at the time, I... Uh, I don't even know. That's a really good question. Um, I also love them. Yeah, I mean, literally, I could play any single song that they had ever written. And I used to sit outside. I went to school in Warrensburg, Missouri, which is a small town in, in Missouri. And I would busk um, on, on the street, which, which nobody did because it was super weird in a really small farming town. And people would come up to me and ask me what I could play. And I would be like, just Dave Matthews. I literally could play nothing but Dave Matthews. But you couldn't, but you couldn't stump me. Like if, if somebody was like, hey, can you play Spotlight? Which is like a song they played at a sound check in 1991 at Miller's. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, oh, hmm, uh, uh, and then I'd play it. You know, there was, there was like not, you know, all I was doing was like taping and trading at the time. That was like, you would like, Oh my God, this is so funny. You would like get get a, sh a live show. You know, people were going to the shows and taping them. It was like a thing that you did. And then you would list all of the shows that you had on the internet. And then you could find people in forums who had like the, 19, the 1997 show in Charlottesville, Virginia. And they would have the set list and you'd really want it because they'd have some specific rare song. Right. And then you'd like email them and then you'd send them blank CDs and they would burn it. And then they would send that back to you. And then you'd have that show or they'd say, oh, I really love that you have this show from 1995 at Yoshi's in Oakland. And then you'd each burn the show for each other and then you'd send it to them. So I have like hundreds of CDs that are like all these live Dave Matthews shows that were like the most important thing to me in the world at the time. And now I just don't even like think about it all. <laughs> but it's kind of funny. You have like the largest Dave Matthews like, library collection. <laughs> Not even. That's the thing. Like, I was still small potatoes. You know, I've probably been to 45 shows or something like that. But my friend Kirsten's probably been to like 200, you know, and even she's small potatoes in some ways. Like, it, it, people are people were crazy about Dave Matthews Band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I love them as well. Uh, so I uh, I'm, I'm aware of time. I do want to call out uh, your cover of Son of a Preacher Man. OK. Um, which you kind of took a song that everyone knew, put a little minor spin in there, put, of course, a sexuality flip, uh, and it changed the song into it. It's it's beautiful. It's haunting. It's um, what what gave you the idea to kind of redo that song in such a brilliant way? Well, that was an interesting one because that was kind of like. You know, I had started making uh, videos with uh, a friend of mine. His name is Michael Serrato in L.A. And I was like in the process of moving to L.A. So we had made uh, Illuminate the Dark and Breath and Sound. And, yes. and we, we really wanted to like make something really big. And, you know, he was like, I've always wanted to 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 make a short film that was like Son of a Preacher Man. 
but with the same sex couple. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. And so in a way it was really visual first. Like we, like this, the visual story was already known before the song was approached, you know? Um, and so then I approached the song knowing, knowing the arc of the story. So it was almost like scoring, right? right. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was almost like I scored a song for a short film. And that's that's how that's how you're getting that emotion. And that's how that's why the song perfectly fits the visuals, because I knew I knew where the visuals were going to head before the song. We even started approaching the song and I and I, um, you know, and I did flip it to a minor key and I played it on the, the I actually re rearranged it on the piano. And it was just kind of um, it just wasn't really working, to be honest, by the time we got to. To, to adding the strings and so um so i flipped it to the guitar and it was like oh whoa there it is and then you know and even as we were recording it you know i worked with um guy his name's ryan states who who um who who goes by i uh, sorry he goes by the name marzim he's also a, a, a an lgbt singer songwriter producer mixer uh and he did all the drum programming on it. And I remember we just kept going back and forth and he, he kept sending me ideas. And I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> this is wrong. This is wrong because it was being scored. You know, had it been uh, a song, then it would have it would have been fine. But the visuals were already there. By that point in time, we'd already almost edited the entire video together. So you'd be like, look, this is the sounds that need to be here. You know, it was definitely like much more like, like I was like, it needs a lot more toms, <laughs> like toms. The 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 sound here is floor toms, and he was like, oh, I see. You know, it was kind of interesting. Now, have you been super duper busy this month performing, or super duper busy uh, taking a part of Pride, or just relaxing? Uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, I've really just been working on visual content. Uh, I have uh, a couple gigs this month, but I don't have a ton of pride gigs i really haven't started reaching out and started started performing live. my first live show in like a year and a half is is this saturday at this private event up in northern california um but yeah i, I really haven't been uh, uh for the first time since 2006 uh, uh, aggressively trying to perform live so i've been kind of like um entertaining offers um but I don't know. I've kind of enjoyed the break, to be honest with you. And I, I'm trying to to settle back into the normalcy in a way that doesn't completely consume my life because I'm a workaholic and I don't want that. Right. Right. Well, Tom, we just have a few wrap up questions for you here. I, sure. I, I wish we could talk about like everything in the world. But uh, is there anything coming up that you want to talk about? Any visual or Audio well, I just content. released I just released a, a single and a video for for Pride called Pride, which I yep, which I I, I wrote and um, directed. I directed the video as well, so that was really cool. And I'm it's really beautiful and touching. And it's it's like I said, it's in honor of um, my friend Ben, who who um, sorry, it's in honor of my friend Rich. Ben is his husband. Um, my friend Rich, who passed away in 2020. And Rich and Ben were huge leaders in the community in Reading, Pennsylvania. And, um, and there's just so many stories that I would like to tell of people that have been so inspirational. But I told a couple in the song, and I'm really proud of it. I'm, I'm finishing up. A, I have a, a track releasing in a couple of weeks with 
um, Devin Green and Ned Douglas, who are like two of my favorite people, and they're really awesome. It's called Undercover Summer, and it's going to be paired with a scent. So we have a fragrance coming out in a couple weeks called oh, Undercover that's Summer. Awesome. So you'll see a single, a fragrance, and a video. It's going to be super duper fun, and um, and yeah, so that's what's coming on the pipeline. But really, I'm just trying to release a lot of singles right now. We're releasing music every single month and uh, hopefully, hopefully making people smile. And can you hint any about the fragrance? Yeah, it smells like summer. Oh, so it's like, it smells like, you know, coconut. I'm looking at it right now. Let me spray it. It's like, it smells like the beach. It smells oh, like the beach. That. Oh, yeah. Well, very, very much looking forward to that. Um, we just have three more wrap-up questions. Matthew, you want to take the first two? Yeah, the first question is, uh, a lot of people during the pandemic uh, kind of took on other uh, things to learn that they maybe had didn't take, have the time to learn, like uh, a foreign language, or I'm going to learn how to bake cookies, or whatever. Did you, in the past year, and now probably almost a half, did you take on a new learning thing? That's interesting. Um you know, there definitely was periods where I was making a lot of cookies and making <laughs> a lot of ice cream, Right. you know, especially at the beginning, you know, I definitely made a lot of soups. I did a lot of cooking, um, but I produced a couple podcasts as well. So I have a, po- I have a podcast that I produce um, that I, that I uh, have a small role in um, called Never Sleep Alone that that launches in about two weeks. Um, you can you can check that out on any of your streaming um, platforms. But it's a it's a like sex advice comedy show, and so I spent a lot of time producing that. Um, I produced like a lot of videos, but I wouldn't say anything that was like a totally new skill. Mm, no. Okay. Well, um, during the pandemic, did you take the time to sort of binge? on a series that maybe you normally wouldn't watch, where you're like, oh my God, I watched the entire 5 million seasons of The Office. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, the thing that I really loved, and I would say the thing that I, I learned and unlearned, and I'm always trying to, and now, I'm, now I feel like it, I understand the importance of, is just quality of life. One of the things I learned how to do is go for a walk. One of the things I learned how to do is pay attention to to the flowers that change in my neighborhood. One of the things that I learned how to do was take a bike instead of drive. And for me, my schedule is so insanely packed. I am so efficient in everything that I do. And there is rarely five minutes where I have a chance to breathe. And the pandemic was really great because there was nothing but breath. And I had to learn how to be comfortable with that. And, right. and as, as things are opening back up, I can feel my, my motor starting to churn. And I'm not sure that it's the best for me. I think there's been times when I've been here and the pandemic was raging and I was holding my husband's hand and we were going for a walk and we were taking bike rides together and, and the work was still getting done, but the quality of life was, was, was a much better situation. So that's what I, I think I learned the most out of out of everything. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so the final question. So Matt is producing our friend, uh, performer Susan Derry's upcoming holiday album called I Wish It So. Um, 
and we it's got us talking a lot about the powers of a wish and what a wish really means as a manifestation mm-hmm. um and so i made this crazy kooky looking wish box it's and, very cute and decorated it um it's pink it is pink <laughs> and so uh we're collecting wishes from our guests uh that will later um there's an artist who has a studio in Arlington. Her name is Sushmita Mazumdar. And we're going to have an unboxing of the wishes to coincide with Susan's album release. And then this artist is going to take these wishes and do things with them on paper. Mm. Um, and so we're asking all of our guests in preparation for that, if just top of your head, first thing that pops in, uh, if you had one thing to wish, be it for yourself, your family, the country, the world, what's the first thing that pops to mind? I guess the, the term wish is funny to me, but I would like to, to say it, but say the word hope and maybe you can just rephrase it however it works for the project. But I would say, given what I just said, I hope for myself and those that I love, I, I hope that we can understand how to be with one another and embrace one another and share special moments in the now with one another as opposed to um, worrying about the future being consumed in the digital space and that's what i hope for the world as well that we are kinder to each other that we spend more time with each other and that we are genuinely in the moment with each other that's beautiful that's awesome yes so thank you so much for your time tom we we love your music you're such an inspiration to all of us yes thank you so much i appreciate it um all right tom thanks so much we'll send you the link when this comes out and we'll put all of your links in the description call us when you're in dc okay i will thank you boys very much i appreciate it all right bye bye all right that was a great talk with tom thank you tom for joining us for that interview hope you all enjoyed it and uh, if you want to know more about us, you can go to www.connersmithmusicals.com. That's C-O-N-N-E-R, smithmusicals.com. Find us on Facebook under Connor and Smith. Um, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It would really help us out a lot. How did the pancakes turn out, Matthew? Oh, my God. They're amazing. Limoncello with blueberries and butter. It is very refreshing summer pancake. Yes, check it out. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Did you have something to say? No. Nope. No. Nope? Okay. Well, as we always say, man, turn your heart into, into art. art. Bye, everybody. Bye.